Hi guys, welcome to Belief Alchemy with Megan O'Neill. Every week I'll be sitting down to interview visionary women who will teach us how to have a more magical mindset and to create greater possibility in our lives and in our business. All right, all right. So welcome, Andre. I'm really, really glad for you to be on the other side because uh, you were asking me questions. You just said, I'm going to, you need to ask me questions, which is so true. But um, as Andre knows, I'm, I'm very chatty. So, uh, but anyway, what I want to start off, because we're going to have a good talk today, so it's going to be fun. Always. Can you just introduce yourself? My name is Andre Brisson, and I have a engineering company I created in 2007. Had a big hiccup in 2015, but rebranded it as Objective Engineering. Um, um, and I'm starting and developing an ADHD program for the high achieving entrepreneur under the brand name of Tactical Breakthroughs. Ooh, I love that name. I didn't know I'd never heard that name before. Yep. And you are um, the podcast host yes. of the Impulsive Thinker. Yep. The podcast for the high achieving ADHD entrepreneur. So we launched that in October of 2021. Um, yeah, and having lots of fun with that meeting a lot of great people, talking, like bringing you on, talking about serious stuff on how we can transform ourselves into a better person and better understanding yourself for, for a bigger future. I think you may be my first, other than my husband, you are my first male guest. Ooh, nice. Yes. I'm glad I could be your first. Yeah. And not that I, I, I don't love talking to men, but I have felt that women had a lot of challenges in the entrepreneurial world around mindset, particular around all areas, um, which is why I was focusing in on women. But interestingly enough, a lot of the women that I have either been friends with over the years and then in the entrepreneurial world and um, just, as you know, in my family, have been people who are ADD or have been uh, diagnosed or identified as ADD. And, and I, as you know, my dad was, even though he was undiagnosed yeah. mm -hmm. and my brother was. So I, um, you were surrounded by it. I was surrounded by it. And I think, um, I think that to me, I've also attracted a lot of entrepreneurial people that I have worked with over the years. Cause I started like 20 years ago who were ADD. So I don't know if I just have an energy or something, but you guys well, are. Believe, people. I would say you got an energy. You definitely, since you're, you're aware and understanding of it, you attract the people because, you know, it's very easy for people to be attracted to similar people. And for me, I found the ones who understand me the most is the one I want to be around and I, yeah. without having to explain it much. Yeah. But can we talk about it? Because I think even to this day, um, and I was just talking to one of my friends and clients who also is ADD about how there still remains a bit of a stigma when parents first hear about their kids or understand or a teacher or someone in authority maybe comes to them and talks to them about being ADD or having testing. People are resistant still. They're resistant to the label um, and the label is negative. Um, just the term uh, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, um, is is what the negative label is. Is it's disruptive. It's you know, 
it's seen as a negative label because it's an embarrassment to whoever's around them. Um, and, and I think this is like, if you look at it from this perspective, um, it was, which helped me explain it a lot better. Like ADHD is one of the few, if not the only mental health disorder uh, condition that is diagnosed based on how it affects other people, mm. not on the person. If you're depressed, they can diagnose it because it's affecting you a certain way. You got certain symptoms, but ADHD is all about how you, you're not doing things as requested. You're not doing things as expected. You're not, you know, you're disruptive, you're hyperactive, you're impulsive. It's disrupting other people. And in, in reality is it's, it's just, our brain is wired differently. It's wired. Like, like, you know, I'm reading a book right now called the hunter and the farmer, like the analogy of the ADHD person's the hunter who's always has to be attentive, easily distracted, able to focus on things on the hunt. And the farmer is the one that can do the repetitive mundane task, wait to the crops grow, right? And it's just two different brain waves, <clears throat> excuse me, how the brains work. So once I understood this is how my brain is wired, um, now I can work with it better. So I don't fit in the mold of the general public of sitting down for eight hours and doing the same mundane tasks over and over, or being able to sit down and listen to things I'm not interested in. My brain just won't let me. Right. So, and then that way, that's when the, the symptoms will overcome and take over. And then that can become the disorder, but if we can harness that and manage those, then they become my strengths. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think for me, because of the way I grew up with my brother being identified very early on, like when the early seventies mm -hmm. and he was sort of, I think the stereotype of the hyperactive kid, really bad in class, behavioral issues, swearing at teachers, you know, interestingly enough, excellent socially though. So he was great and his power was social and yeah, we're entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the thing is about the seventies, it wasn't known as ADHD back then. It was known as minimal brain injury. Ooh. So that the history of it started all this time, like that, that kind of falls in with the, the negative uh, mindset about it or the, the, the negative label. And I find, especially with kids, I know there's a couple of people in town where I'm at, they didn't want to get their kids diagnosed because of the label. And it had nothing to do with the kids being labeled. It would be the parents also being labeled with that problematic child. Right. Right. So we make it about us. A lot of people do. Yeah. And, and a lot of the treatments for ADHD is to make it easier on other people. Right. Right. What I loved um, and, and learned later on, and I think you, I think you were, I think you were diagnosed later on, were you not? Did you uh, know it was three and a half years ago at oh, 43? Yeah. Wow. With severe ADHD. So I was told my psychiatrist said he doesn't with where I am on this on the spectrum of ADHD, there's I should not have graduated engineering in Waterloo on time or at all or have successful businesses. So I I subconsciously or innately created systems and mechanisms to overcome these symptoms. I, I find that I find that most people I know who are who are not diagnosed until later or at all, um, but I kind of recognize it. They have definitely developed other parts of their brain that are activated because they learn their strategies as a way to cope. Yeah, they do, but they don't realize that yeah. they did. 
right. the thing is, is what's challenging is we're, we're actually, you know, I read a lot of self-help books. I read a lot of stuff to improve myself and identify my strengths. But a lot of the stuff I was discovering did not fit the mold. So then I created systems or mechanisms or changed my personality, which later on changed my personality and created a character that fit in with everyone. Yeah. Right. And then the big challenge for me is I got really good at playing this character for 40 years. Yeah. Now I understand what's going on in my brain. I know what I, you know, I've always known what I, the way I do things is how I do it best. And I do it better than anyone else but I still try to hide it, cover it up or downplay it or tone it down because other people wouldn't, didn't understand it or respect it or accept it. A lot of too, as around, I was hanging around around the wrong people too, but now it's like, it's shedding this characters, but challenge I'm having right now is, is it my character that believes this or thinks this, or is this truly me? Right. Cause I've always, the true me wants to come out. My character will push me down. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what you mean by the character, because um, if you grow up and you're, you know, you're a couple of years younger than me during the time period that we grew up, I think it was still pretty formal. School was designed for a certain type of person. Sit down, shut um, up and listen. Yeah. Um, and I, I often think that many of the teachers that I know are perfect in that system, that mm -hmm. many of my friends who are teachers are really perfect at that type of system. But, uh, you know, the different, I, you know, uh, the, the uh, psychologist called me, you know, the serious right brainer that mm -hmm. that's how I operate. That's my strength. That's where, um, so for me, um, any sort of group stuff would be great. Right. So I wish yeah. I had more group stuff in the old days. I probably would have done even better in school, mm -hmm. but yeah. going back to growing up, you and I both share the, uh, having a mother who was a nurse. Yeah. Your mom never, your mom didn't know, your mom didn't suspect or what? Uh, I'm pretty confident there's, there was, they suspected because apparently my aunt, the, the youngest of the, the family was diagnosed also at a young age. Um, so it's never been brought up or discussed verbally, but I'm pretty sure there would have been um, suspected, but at that time in the eighties in elementary school, they drugged the crap out of you for ADHD um, to the point that you were becoming a zombie. Uh, so I think there was her with her nurse background, she knew that side of it um, would do it. But at the same time, they're, you know, they were raised that, that I found that generation, they were really stuck on what other people thought. Yeah. You know, the, the, the image of the perfect family um, image uh, played a big role. So it was challenging for them to make that call to go that way. But the other thing too, though, Megan, that made it very difficult to see it is I didn't have a lot of trouble in school. Um, the ones that were doing well at school were smart. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gifted, I'm a gifted adult too. Um, I did well in school. So you didn't have ADHD. It wasn't understood that people who did well in school, um, had ADHD or could have ADHD, right? I was disruptive, but I wasn't that bouncing boy all over the, going all over and disrupting the class, just being a goofball. Okay, I was a goofball. But a lot of times I would disrupt the class intellectually, right? Right. I would challenge the, ch the teachers 
on an intellectual level where it got to the point you go to the te- principal's office because no, I can't win this argument with you, right? Like I called out my grade two teacher on a lie. I said, last week, Roger got caught on a lie and you made fun of him in front of the class and used him as an example for what not to do when, you're, when you lie. You just got caught in a lie. What do you say about yourself? The answer was to the principal's office. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, my parents had a lot of phone calls, um, but yeah. it was never about fighting or just being unnecessarily disruptive. It was a lot had to do with the, the intellectual disruption and challenging the teachers. So on that, you know, that tangent was um, doing well in school hid the fact of the potential of ADHD also at the same time, even though I was hyperactive kid all over the place and prefer to be running around. I think it was interesting about my mom because she's the child of a pharmacist as well. She was hesitant about the medication as well. So that was sort of, uh, he didn't last on Ritalin for very long. But I think one of the things that kind of comforted her and my brother was actually identified as ADHD early on just because of good luck and her persistence. But she also learned he had a high IQ. And because of that, I think that just sort of settled her down. Like that was it. He's got a high IQ. Um, And that was it for her. But going back, when I think about you in the gifted program, being gifted academically, then you go into engineering, which, um, I guess for a part of me was kind of surprised at that. Why engineering? I don't know. Um, I was always raised being told that, um, you know, so it looks like you're smart at being an engineer, being an engineer. Um, I think it was my parents wanted me to be like my dad always said, his, his father, my grandfather was a janitor at the mines mm-hmm. in Sudbury. And my dad always remembers saying, you're not going underground. So you're going to learn a trade. So you don't, get go underground and be stuck in a crap job like him and i think it was just i think my dad also wanted to be one so i was just pushed that we can if they if they didn't have the opportunity to go to university and if our, their kids can we got it all pushed towards that so um engineering to me science i got interested in the science and i was really good at math um i did a work a high school co-op work term at the bruce nuclear site in the engineering department and it just seemed you know, it's, it was interesting science, math, how things practically work. I always enjoyed. Um, and I got to learn a lot of new stuff, which is one of my, my unique abilities is learning complex stuff. So I think of engineers because I was telling you that on my street, it seemed like every dad was an engineer. It just seemed like, you know, I don't know what it was, but everybody seemed to be engineers except my dad. And when I think about engineering, And just observing all the engineers I know, A, they're all married to teachers, by the way. I don't know what it is about engineers and teachers, but they all seem to get together. And I always think of them as being very traditional and going into traditional institutions, like my my father-in-law going to IBM. Yeah, yeah. A lot of of engineers do that. They work in the big corporations, um, clock in, clock out. Yeah. Not a lot of big challenge. Well, sorry, my perception of not right. a big enough challenge. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's more, yeah, it's more, yeah, I got a lot of friends there. I got, I got a really good friend of mine, his point, he just want, goes in, does his time. He enjoys what he does, but he turns it off when he goes home yeah. and he does other stuff. Yeah. Um, and then the stuff he's been doing, he's been, he's, you know, he's the same age as me. So that means we're 22 years in the industry and he perfected it by the time 
he was six years in, but he's been happy doing the same thing for the last 15 over and over and over again. Right. I designed three buildings from scratch, just three. I'm done. I don't want to do another one again. Like it's, I figured it out. I'm on to the next. I need something new to figure out. Well, my perception of entrepreneurs having been the daughter of an entrepreneur, my dad was like, whew, he's like on to the next project. He was just so many things about him were so obviously ADD. When you look mm-hmm. back at his report cards, I just found them and then getting kicked out by the priest, you name it. There was lots going on. <laughs> Yeah, he did not the priest didn't and, get along either. No, oh God. He was in the 1950s, he told the priest to fuck off, which was Ooh. unheard of in the 1950s. Like you don't do that. Anybody who's Catholic understands what I'm talking about. I call but, mine a hypocrite. I yeah, like <laughs> don't do it. Don't, especially your parents are like, not the priest, you know. But uh when I think about I think about his challenge in life was being told to go into the institutions, he became a lawyer and that just, it just doesn't work. So for the, in my perception, ADD, ADHD, they develop parts of their mind. And to me, it's very conducive to entrepreneurship Mm, and the ups and downs and the creativity and the um, ability to pivot and to find solutions in a way that I think traditional minds, or I don't know what you would call them. It's the impulsivity side. Right. Right. We don't have much time to think through our idea to talk ourselves out of it. Right. It's just like, boom, something's happened. Hey, the lion just popped out. Shoot. You know, oh crap. Now it's a leopard, but I wanted a lion or, oh good. It's the lion. If I would have waited too long for the perfect shot, the lion would have left. So there's, there's a, there's a mix of the impulsivity also. And then to go back with the institution thing, I was raised on that too, in the eighties to go to an institution like Hydro One, that's what they wanted, the power company, work for 30 years, be taken care of, and then do that same mundane stuff over and over again. And I fought that as a kid, there's there's no way I can go work, you know, 30 years and then retire, which was, I, I told my grandfather, it's just waiting to die. Right. Right. I could not understand how you can just do that over and over stuff. Um, Yeah. And that's that's, why I, yeah, I want to know about when you became, I mean, one of the questions that I always. Okay. Now I see. It came back now. Now, I just want to talk about the entrepreneur just because you're ADHD doesn't mean you you're wired to be an entrepreneur. Okay. Okay. There's a, I, I, from what I've seen, observed and learned. Yes. Out there, the majority of the entrepreneurs, there's a high percentage are ADHD. Okay. But at the same time, just because you have ADHD, you're not necessarily wired for entrepreneurship. Um, you can, uh, there's a lot of people with ADHD that do work in the institutions that do well, because there's structure there, right? There is a structure they can succeed, as, you know, and many of them do, and they cannot handle the unknowing future of entrepreneurship with the ups and downs. So I just want to get people to understand just because you're ADHD doesn't mean you're an entrepreneur or if you're an entrepreneur, it means you have ADHD. Right. Right. Um, but like for me, I really like the unknown. I really like the new problem. I really like once I've solved the problem, like I'm at the point now, I've got so much advanced transformation and understanding how I work and what I do best. Now I'm at the point where I can just deal with a customer. What's the problem? Oh, this is the solution. And then I leave. Then I got my team to finish off the drawings, to finish off the calculations. I like to deal with the unique, especially the people that says it can't be done. 
can't be done. Uh, I've had five other engineers come here and look at this. Like they can't figure it out. Oh, it's this. Okay, let's go. Then I'm done. So, but the longer I stay in the project, doing the calculations, project managing, projects get run out of time. My frustration gets high. I get harder on my team. I get hard on clients even. Um, and it's not good. And it becomes, a, you know, not good work and delays. So. But how long, how long did it take you to understand? That's something my dad did never understood about himself in some ways. He was trying to do it all as opposed well, to- We, we were raised that way. Yeah. You're supposed to do it all. Right. How do you do it? How are you supposed to do it instead of trying to figure out who can help me do it? Yeah. And I right? think I see this all the time with entrepreneurs where they do not enjoy something. They're not good at it, mm -hmm. but they have a belief system where they think they have to do it because, you know. Belief. They, yeah. Belief systems is huge. You got that right. It's all what you believe in the mindset that creates it. And then so going back to the beginning of your entrepreneurship, because it was mm -hmm. 2008, is that what you said? 2007. Yeah. December yeah. 27th, 2007, I got incorporated. And how did you come to the conclusion that you were going to start your own thing? Um, so I was at the University of Waterloo and we had work terms. Um, and I did automotive industry and I decided, oh, I don't want to work there. I did Ministry of Transportation, government. Wow. No way. I did mining. Um, and then I was raised as a consulting firm. They owned you and you didn't have a life. That's how I was raised. So I said, I got to do one work term in the consulting industry to say I've done it and it's not good for me. And I'm not a hypocrite to me as big thing about being a hypocrite. I hate, so I I'll try something to say, I don't like it. And I got proof. But then when I did that consulting work term, I didn't look back. Right. It suited my unique ability, my ADHD, solving new stuff. A company of two people was brand new. And then at the end of that work term, I just went up to him and said, hey, looks like you're going to need me in four months after I graduate. You want to do this, 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 and this weird company? I have no idea where, how we're going to do it, but we're going to get it done. My structural experience will bring more work to you, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. And I'll take a, a peanuts, you know, piss ass salary because I believe it can become bigger. So I think that's technically when my entrepreneurial journey started because when I've had that conversation, I walked out the door before I even knew they were going to accept me or not was in 10 years, I either own the place or I was going to start my own because with engineering, I truly, you need to have experience before you go and launch out. Cause you know, we're professionally liable for the decisions we make. And if we hurt or kill someone, you know, we lose our license and there's repercussions. So help build that company to a million dollar company. They didn't want to grow anymore. They wanted to stay where they were. And I said, I can't do that. So I went, I said, and the other reason I, would, I jumped the boat on that was because I didn't want to be 65 and look back and say, what if, what if I did do something? I'd rather be at 65 saying I tried, I failed. I lost a lot of money, but at least I tried. So that's what I did. And then, um, you know, it was called Jade Engineers, J-A-D-E. My wife came up with that and it was the acronym for just another damn engineer. <laughs> I love it. But, you know, it sounds like starting this company, it was like, really, you were quite confident. Really? Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. 
No, I know, but it's just you were really confident. That that's that's one like I don't hear that very often. I find that I hear from entrepreneurs that they're fed up. That well, they're fed, fed up. up. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually a big motivator for them to leave, or they can see that the system could be built in a different way that's better. They're impatient with change. Yeah. Well, you're it's saying better. everything that's true. Well, it's yeah. very true. That's the common denominator yeah. that I hear again and again. I don't and plus know. Plus, the, the environment was so toxic. Yeah. I looked at it all. And then realized that I was the pivotal key to making that environment comp toxic. So I, I noticed it's not necessarily I was actively being the toxic one. I realized if we removed some other staff, which I thought were toxic, the toxicity would still be there because it was actually an issue between me and my, my boss or you know, I was a partner at the time. So the only way this company could succeed, I saw, was by removing me. So I removed me. Yes, I was assured. My, my wife was six months pregnant with our first daughter. We just blew all our savings to renovate the house we just bought. So if someone says you need money to start a company, you know you don't. Yeah, good. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I, was, I was fed up. I was ready to go. Um, yes, in a way, the system wasn't working, but not for them, they didn't want to grow. They were happy where they were, and I couldn't see myself doing that for another 30 years. So when did you, so, I mean, it, I mean, listening to you, you seem to be in some ways the ideal entrepreneur in my mind, because you seem to have a great sense of yourself and what you wanted to do, which I think is really important. Mm -hmm. And you knew what you wanted. You knew the atmosphere in which you wanted to work, which I think is one of the most important things that I'm always trying to work on with my clients is to figure out, to give themselves permission. Yeah. I, you know what? I, didn't realize that's what I was doing, but in effect, that's what I was doing. I was creating a company that I can fit in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tailor make it to you. So you'll be yeah. happy. Unknowingly. Unknowingly. Yeah. I do think though, um, Andre, that, that this is an area where men are stronger than women. I have to say, um, mm -hmm. I do think that they have beliefs that there's a certain amount of beliefs, the difference between men and women that I have observed over 20 years is that men don't waste their time with a lot of the beliefs around, I'm not sure I can do it. Like, I just haven't found that as much amongst uh, men as, as they, they're like, I'm going to do this and I deserve to have this happen. I, this is what I love about men. And I have um, learned some of the best lessons from some of my male bosses in the past. But as like, just fast forwarding along. You well, I want to challenge that a little bit. I don't like, okay. I'm going to say, um, not complete bullshit, but pretty close. Um, I think we still struggle with that. Um, the thing is, what came to mind when you said that is, when I made my decision, I moved and didn't look back. Mm. While, like, I, like my wife's going through this a little bit with starting her bakery there. Yeah, it's she's made the decision to move forward with the bakery, but she's still having that conversation with her all the time made the decision, but it's almost as if you're allowed to have that conversation going over and over. Well, for me, or maybe men is once, you know, it's, I hate to compare it to this, but with suicide, you know, men are more successful because once they're committed, they're done. And then the women kind of talk themselves out of it. It's a horrible analogy. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's kind of what it relates to me. So I know we're not going to say that starting your own business is suicide, no. but there should be an element to it. Yeah. No, but I think we still have the same challenges with beliefs or 
or trying to talk ourselves out of it, but uh, maybe not. I don't think it's as easy as it's perceived. Right. So as you, you obviously were success. I was told. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, from the the bank account that you were, you know, successful. That's funny. I I know what the bank account's saying, but it's, it's amazing how we don't see that as successful. We achieved all our goals from last year, but that was a whole new, you know, ADHD is a real interesting way of looking at success. Okay. So talk to me about that. Um, see, it's gotta be interesting. It's gotta be novel. It's gotta be urgent for us to engage our brain. Right. So once we achieve a goal, a lot of times we follow into a post-success depression because there's nothing else. Hmm. So yeah. now the brain got ramped up, fired up, woo-hoo-hoo, and then boom, nothing. Like, I mean, it's peaks and valleys. It's not just a, a taper off. It's cut off. Dopamine right. just got turned off. Now you're like, crap, there's nothing to do. And now you kind of go into a little bit of depression, right? So where was I going with this again? No, I think this is a great example of the ADHD entrepreneur. This is amazing. Because I, yeah, I forgot your question. That's what I meant. Well, the thing is, <laughs> oh, is success. That, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, we, go so ahead. once yeah. we achieve a success, I have to go on to the next one. We don't take time to celebrate that win because we need the brain needs something else to go on. Right. So, like, you know, everyone says you're just driven, you'll just go, 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 go. You can't stop. I said, but it's also a way I achieve my goals. I set new ones. So, and they can't so, stop. But what, what's interesting about that is that um, do you feel like that's, do you think that's a, a negative thing to not celebrate your success? Like, how does that affect you? You know what? I'm, I'm kind of torn on that because the other thing too is I did a workshop uh, last year with some ADHD people, but yeah. twist, flipping your symptoms to strengths. Yeah. And I ended up, I don't know why I did it, but I just, at the end, I said, let's talk about success. And and you know, very impulsive thinking came out and says, success has been dictated by society. There's an accepted norm of success. And we're trying to use that measuring stick to achieve success. So bank account. Okay, good. I got money in the bank account. Woohoo. Big deal. I want more. Why is the measurement of success, right? Like I keep telling people, I want to become a millionaire. Well, because you want to be rich and famous. No, I just, it's a measurement of success, but it's someone else's stick. Right. Exactly. So what I ended up creating a little tool where they're like, Hey, um, what's your definition of success? And they always come up, has to do with workers. No, that's what other people are saying. We got to look at success differently. And for me, what I figured out is I have to set audacious goals and continually meeting them. Uh, completing them and moving on to the next interesting thing. Mm. So the more I move on and achieve my goals, I'm successful. So, but that's not how it's normally measured. Right. Right. Well, I mean, this is one of the things that I've spent a lot of time with my clients focusing in on. Yeah. What do you believe about success? Mm -hmm. And um, I tend to think because I'm a real right brain dominant kind of person, I often associate it with emotion. Right. Right. So how does this make you feel? Because what one person, I mean, once again, it goes to kind of the money beliefs, but you could think that a million dollars was nothing really Mm -hmm. some per a person that wouldn't be a real measurement for them. 
because maybe making money is really million dollars easy to make. Like what if, right? Think yep. about all the people. But this is the feeling that I get when I say, for example, I'm, I'm able to be philanthropic. So for a lot of the women that I work with, a measurement of success will be to be able to be more philanthropic. That's actually a big motivator for many women entrepreneurs is to mm -hmm. be able to invest in their community. It's huge, huge carrot yep. for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the current trend. Yeah. I, I do think, well, it's in, it's funny because I remember reading a book years ago. I have it somewhere and I think I might've even mentioned it to you. It's a called The Millionaire Woman Next Door. Do you ever hear no, about this book? No. Okay. So it's really, uh, it's a, it's a, an academic who studied the habits and I would say the beliefs of the average millionaire in the United States. And he broke it down and, you know, he's a, he's an academic. So he has all the data to support what he's saying. But anyway, he studied women. He initially did men and then he studied women. And this was like way back in probably the eighties and the nineties. And you'd have this little, this little old lady who was a secretary who had $2 million in the bank. And she had just, you know, throughout her savings and investing and always, 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 whenever he interviewed these women, these I keep thinking of these little old ladies who lived in like Brooklyn or something, and they donated a million dollars to the library. Their motivation was, is the freedom to be able to invest in their communities. It was a huge carrot for women and it was consistent. <laughs> and what I, so I don't know that it's a trend. I think that that I think that it could be um, become more to the surface because I think more people are becoming entrepreneurial, right? And I think yep. I know more women are becoming entrepreneurial. Oh, for sure. Yeah, in yeah. the last decade, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and it will. And I think actually the COVID is going to be a real jumping off point for many women. Yeah. Because the- Well, they had no choice. They were yeah. stuck. Yeah. And also- um, it's, you know, you know, I'm sure you've read a lot of the things about the COVID, uh, women doing most of the labor in the COVID era. Mm -hmm. Have you read about this? Somewhat. Yeah. You told me about yeah. that. Yeah. So I think that's going to prompt them to make lifestyle changes. And I think that will prompt them to want to go into business for themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah. This COVID forced them. They lost yeah. the work because yeah. they had to go, yeah. they ended up going home. Right. I, I have worked you know, read a few articles saying that it, it put the women's um, uh, equity in the workforce behind, like, because everyone went back home to take care of the, the you know, the schools and all that. Um, but it forced them to be able to, there's a different way because like you need it. Well, it's, we're dual income. There's no way you can't, most people can't uh, achieve their, their lifestyle without having a single income. So, to maintain that single income, they were forced to be creative and come out and figure something out. Right. Right. So a lot yeah. of times too, a lot of entrepreneurs I know we're all backed into a corner. Oh, really? Right. They're all backed into a corner. I got no work. I'm poor or I'm about to be poor. I got to do something. No one wants to hire me. Right. Like I, I remember when I started my, um, my Jane engineers, my first engineering company, my buddy called me. He goes, what are you doing? You're six months pregnant. You know, he, he helped us with the renovation. He knew how much money he put in. He says, you know, it's bad timing. It's bad timing. And I said, well, I got to try it. Um, you know, and I was kind of backed in the corner because the place I was at was toxic. But at the same time, when I turned around to him, I says, he goes, well, what happens if it fails? I said, I'll, I'll just go work for your company. 
He goes, well, how do you want to hire you? I said, I don't know. You won't. I, I can get a job anywhere. I can work anywhere. I can find it. So I then if it failed, I knew I can get work somewhere. Oh, my God. Can I, I just want to emphasize what you just said, because I think that what you just said is so important for anybody who's listening, because I think that that's really the fear, right, of so many people that I have worked with or talk about it, that if they go out on their own, like they just don't have the belief that you do. Like that I'd be able, you know, I'll figure it out, I'll get a job, I'll, I'll go back to work. Like there's just so much fear of risk, right? That I hear often. Yeah, but to me, it was easy to think about because that's always did my whole life. Yeah. Right. Is that, is that part of the ADD, do you think? Or do you think that's your personality? I think it's a bit of my personality too. Um, you know, it has a lot to do with my upbringing. Um, it's just either I, I swam instead of letting myself sink. So um, like I, I just remember as a thing in high school, I, the high school was 45 minutes away and, but the, the late bus would only bring me halfway to home. So parents had to pick me up and I, I wasn't able to do a lot of extracurricular stuff. So it was like, well, I want to do them. So I figured out a way to do it. Either I stayed at a friend's place or I haggled something, right? I always figured out if something I really want to do, I, there's always a way, right? But I was raised saying there's all as a victim. It's all, you know, you can't do this because of that. It's always, you know, poor, poor me. You can't do it. So I'm going to be upset with everyone else because they're preventing me from doing stuff. And I'm like, I couldn't see that. And um, I always seem to find a work a way around wow. to do what I, 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 especially if I believed in and wanted to, to learn. Right. So that's amazing. I mean, that's, that's like quite an amazing mindset to have a natural mindset to have that. I love it. Interestingly enough, my clients who I've worked with the most in my career of 20 years have been single moms mm -hmm. because they have no choice. They're like, I, yeah, I got to go back into the corner. Yeah. Yeah. And they also want to show their kids. Like they want to show their kids that it can be done. They want to support their kids without anyone. Like yeah. they've got motivation. So you're right. They are backed into a corner to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah, right? My grandmother, she was actually a single mom because my grandfather, who I never met, died at a young age. And she was left with uh, my aunt, who's only 10 years older than me. So, yeah, my aunt is actually a very strong woman because my grandmother had no choice. She had to raise, I think she was only six or seven when he passed away. And then she, she, she was a cook on the CN rail line, right? So she was gone all the time. But you know, made it work. Backed in the corner, is either sink or swim. She could have went on welfare. She could have done all that easy stuff, but pursued yeah. to work it through. Well, I think that the reason why I'm, you know, why single mothers working on mindset come to me is because exactly, it's a sink or swim. But they also understand that they are their best asset, right? Like it's upon them to make their business successful, and so they got to be peak in their mindset. But I want to go to, you know, all the, all those years you didn't understand, you weren't diagnosed. You you, how did it feel when you finally were diagnosed? Uh, there's actually I went to get diagnosed to prove it wasn't because it was too convenient of an answer. Yeah, it couldn't be that simple. So it wasn't a relief. Um, yeah, it was a relief because there was a name to it, but it took a long time before I accepted it. Because um, you actually go through the grieving process, the nine steps of grief. grief. Um, so you go into denial. There's no way it can be. And then being upset because, you know, you look back and says, man, if I would have known this, if I was in university, I'd be a whole different ballgame today. Right. Yeah. But 
you know, it is what it is. You know, I got diagnosed with diabetes about four months before that. So it was just like, well, diabetes, it is what it is. And the one I have is manageable. So what do I need to do? Figure yeah, learn about it and just manage it. And then you finally accept it. And then yeah. you got, when you accept it, you got two, two routes, be a victim or take control of it. And with my diabetes, I decided to take control of it. Cause I'm going to live till I'm 130. Right. And I wasn't going to have diabetes kick me out early from that, that goal, because, you know, my parents are diabetic and they're, they're using all the drugs and all that. And insulin is a crutch. Right? right. And I said, Nope, I changed my lifestyle. I got, you know, so I think you got two routes victim or you own it and you move on and, and you just stick by the decision. And you know what? And if you own it, people are not going to want to be around you. Right. Or the ones that you thought would want to be because they're the, you know, if they got the victim mindset, if you're going to take ownership of your own life and do things, that's not the norm or it takes a lot of work to do it. Um, they fall behind. And, and then that's one thing I, I discovered it was tough for me was even just becoming an entrepreneur and having my own company. I had a lot of good friends. that just all of a sudden I had to leave them behind because they didn't want to grow with me. Like, you know, I got a lot of good friends who are lifers at their companies, but we still get along great because they personally grow and they don't hold anything back. They don't, you know, you're not just a rich entrepreneur. You know how everyone thinks you got your own company. You must be a millionaire, but you know, that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> takes a long time before you can start saying I got money um, and living with that. So yeah, in the end, sink or swim, you want to swim, take ownership or sink and be a victim. But you have really channeled what you have learned now teaching other people and helping other people. So talk to me about that. Um, well, I think that's why I figured like in a way I'm not a fatalist or whatnot, but I do think things occur for a reason. And it's up to you to figure out why. I don't think that occurrence, something happened to you was preordained, but it occurred for you to learn something from it. So what you take away with it is, is the reason for it happening. So not being diagnosed till 43, I think was, I am who I am now because of this, right? I think I would have been a different person who was diagnosed at a younger age. I'd be a different, be a different life. But what I know now, what I went through and how I overcame it, I think I've realized is there's a lot of people out there struggling and I'm really good at simplifying complex stuff. So when I start talking to other people about, oh no, it's this, this and simplified, they're like, oh, that makes sense. I didn't have to go into any scientific jargon. Um, I got that, that, that skill and my ability is to sit there and listen to someone and see what, and finally figure out what their true challenge is and then work on that and not work on the symptoms. Identify the symptoms because symptoms are triggered. Our, our results are triggered. So what's triggering you? Let's get to that. And I've always been good at figuring that out myself unknowingly. You know, why, why was I always forgetting my stuff in the morning, right? So, you know, that's why I have a hat. Everything I need to bring tomorrow is in that hat. And I do that before I go to bed. So when I get up and out, if it's not there, then my whole day is screwed. Right. I wish you could just talk to my my child. I'm trying to establish my system for my child, my son. But anyway, nobody listens to their mom. Yeah. But I want. But you know what? You you are you specified. You are 
focusing in on ADHD um, entrepreneurs, but also the key word that you use is high achieving. Yeah. Yeah. So talk um, to me about that. Well, the thing is like, well, the high achieving entrepreneur, um, the ones I, I, I want to work with are the ones that are having this invisible challenge, this invisible uh, uh, dilemma, um, not feeling worthy. There's something just not right. There's something I can't excel. It just, just, I got success, but there's just, I can't get to that level that just fulfills me. Um, and that's where I had for 20 some years as an engineer professional. And then as an entrepreneur, there's just that one, something I'm doing everything I'm supposed to, but it's just not working. Um, and then the thing is, but the high achieving entrepreneur that has a, a, a degree of success and, a, and it's important that they have a team is they know there's something going on. They can be diagnosed or not, but they know there's something going on and they just can't put their finger on it. And that's what I'm good at. And I excel well with people like that. I don't excel well at people who have a victim mindset or just started out, right? I don't want to be teaching someone. I like my skill is not to teach someone how to, you should learn bookkeeping. You should, you know, pricing. No, I'm, 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 I like to work on the person. Like to me, self-actualization is a big thing. Um, and that's why I'm calling this the ADHD journey, uh, transformation journey. It's like, it's turned out to be a year long program, followed up with a mastermind group where like-minded, like-brained people are in the same room with the same type of struggles. And we work, help each other work through it by learning new things. And like, you know, having, you know, you on my podcast, that's a whole different level that, that kind of conversation I thrive on. I got three, four people. We talk regularly about stuff like this, right? But what are they, like, as opposed to an entrepreneur and the journey, because I'm always talking to entrepreneurs about the emotional and just the journey period of the, mm -hmm. of the, the journey. What is different, though, with the ADHD or ADD people versus people who are not? Uh, well, there's such a negative connotation around ADHD, um, you know, we're all playing a character. You're, we're doing things that are not normal um, and tr we're trying to fit in. And I think you use the term, so all that negative energy gets absorbed and then you start having these core beliefs that you're not good enough or you're not fitting in, right? Um, and so for me to talk to a non-ADHD person about time blindness or setting up to-do lists, our brains are wired differently. I can give you a quick little system and one rundown, a 30 minute video, and then you're, you, you're good. You're, you're off to races, right? But the ADHD brain, especially with time blindness, I think a four day job can be done in two hours, right? Now think about that. If I do that two hours before the due time, look at all the stress and frustrations you get. So we got to break it down a little more. We got to take it a little further for that. Or, you know, your impulsivity jumping, like, you know, the ADHD brain also thrives on structure, not rigidity. While a lot of non-ADHD person, people love rigidity, systems and processes, but we prefer structure. If we're structured, we can have better control of our attention that can give us focus. But if we don't have a structure and I, you can let the ADHD go wild, I got no attention, I can't get focus. And then to focus, while you can't focus is so mentally draining, takes so much mental effort. That's a big difference where people just don't understand. 
Can you explain to me what you mean by structure? Structure is habits and routines and systems, right? Every morning before I go to bed, actually, when I get home from work, I change from my work clothes, which is what I wore that day into comfy clothes. So my brain goes from work to home. Now, I put my clothes I'm going to put on the next day, underwear, socks, shirt, whatever, by the side of the, uh, you know, by the side of the tub. So that when I get up in the morning, I don't have to decide what to get in the dark. I can just go shower, brush my teeth, get dressed, leave. Whatever I need to bring to the office that's not in my bag is in my hat. And that's all decided the night before. So I can just get up, get to my hat, put my boots on because it's winter now, then go to work. Now, I didn't have to make any decisions that morning. So I have reserved mental capacity now when I go to the office. Now I go to the office. I turn on, since I'm there first, I got to turn the heat up a little higher. I turn on the coffee maker, put my coat, take everything out, take out my shit list, my shit to do journal, right? And then I go through the same habits and routines every morning. Well, what I call a routine is actually a habit that became a routine. You don't have to think about it anymore. So it, that just saves mental energy. So when you need to make decisions or when things go off strength, you got capacity to do it right? Um, I even structured my company. I created standard operating procedures. So it was ADHD friendly to me without realizing it. So they're doing things the same way, the same thing way I do it. I receive information the same way all the time. And they got, and then they like the rigidity. They got something they can go by. So yeah, that's yeah. what I mean, structure. So structure is I, I'm allowed to bounce around a little bit, but the walls, and then I got control of that structure. So the lines can go out wide, you know, if I got everything done, then I could go wide. I can allow more, more randomness, but I need to, you know, if I know I need to focus, I bring that structure in, you know, if I don't plan my day out in the morning, then my whole day is wasted because I seem to be chasing the eight ball I'm always behind. So that's what I mean by, by the structure. Okay. Um, and then, and then, you know, if the girls at home, if they just put a piece of paper on top of my hat in the morning, I can't see it. I can't see it. I know it's a piece of paper. It looks silly to everyone else. Oh, you're overreacting. No, you just, my whole flow just got disrupted. So the goal is for me is actually how long can I delay getting my day disrupted? Because if it's disrupted early in the morning, it, the whole day's screwed. And when it was undiagnosed, it was not pleasurable for everyone around me. Right. So if it was later on the day, then I said, oh, it's almost the end of the day. It's, it's tolerable. It's work because I got less catching up to do. So, and those are the kind of tips and tricks I help. And then how we, and if it does go off rails, the other thing too is my problem is if I dedicate to myself to doing these 10 things and I can only get three done, I got to get them all done that day. So work late. I love it. I love it because I, over the years have worked with, ADD, maybe in relationships more than entrepreneurship, but even in entrepreneurship where they made themselves wrong about who they were and yeah. that, of course. So I want to ask you, where have your, where have you had the most struggle in terms of your mindset as an entrepreneur? Doing everything myself. Um, like for like in, in a long story, I'm pretty sure a lot of people who have ADHD 
especially entrepreneurs, the, the ones I talk to a lot are, you know, you're told you can't do it. You're told you're not doing it the right way. So you just end up doing it by yourself, right? You start up your own company. You have to do everything. Then you get into a habit of doing it. Um, and then like, for me, it's just, it's been around my whole life. You have to do it. You're, since you're not doing it right, you got to do it yourself and you got to explain it. You got to justify why it has to be done differently. You know, again, that measuring stick, you're not doing it the way we measure. Well, how about you just do it the way I do it? Cause it works for me. And that's what I did with my standard operating procedures in engineering here. Um, so uh, that's not a good point. See, that's the ADHD thing. I went off a little bit of tangent. What was the question? So I was asking you what you struggled with and you said oh, doing it by yourself. Yeah, it's, it's letting go. It's, you've been doing everything by yourself, letting go, delegating it, letting other people, having faith other people will do it. Um, but it's, you know, I had assistance. I have assistants, I have team members, but there's still part of me, I have to hold on to certain things or I might be perceived as being lazy and not knowing enough, right? Just me being around now, my new role in engineering is I just walk around and if you need me to solve a problem, I'm there. If not, I don't do anything else. I don't do engineering work. I don't do calculations anymore. I'll go to site as long as it's a unique complex problem or there's an opportunity for our company to grow and they need my, my wittiness and the ability to see a lot of potential, right? Then other than that, I see myself sitting there with thumb up my butt and that's what I believe other people are seeing. Right. Right. And I think that, I think that's, that thing, that's a, whew, wow, this is a good one. It's that how you've been judged externally your whole life. Then all of a sudden you're getting somewhere you want and you're still thinking, what about other people thinking about you? And then what I've discovered, and no matter how many times I get proven here at my office, they don't care. You're bringing in the work. You're there when they need it. And, but you're still trying to get out of that mindset that I, I need to be doing something so I can be perceived as doing something. Right. Yeah. I've heard that a lot. I've heard that yeah. an awful lot. And even in the area of relationships, um, we used to work with a lot of guys who were diagnosed young. And then it just like at 12, it was like forgotten that they had been diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And so they never learned to, they never learned some of the techniques that I am privy to because I am the parent and daughter and sister. And I, and, you know, we learn, right. As yep. we get to be parents and we try and figure out how to teach our kids who are struggling with, you know, in the system as an AD, ADD kid, mm -hmm. right? And so we have more knowledge now. And so yeah. I feel like what I'm constantly saying to parents is, is and really this is the way your brain operates, it's neither here nor there. It's just yeah. learning how to operate within the continent. And I think that's for everybody though. Don't you think that's kind of well, like applicable to everybody? To me, it's, it's, it's got to be a two-way street here. Like, we know the brain works differently. It doesn't work how you would want it or how the majority of people are. Why can't we find a middle ground? I'm not right. saying you got to change everything for me, but right now, a lot of the, you know, over the last 20, 30 years, the diagnosis and all the, the, the treatments have all been so that we can be socially accepted, completely changing the way we do things. So it fits in with everyone else. Cause if you do some little bit off, it makes them uncomfortable. So, and that's where the, that's the ending I was raised as is, what you're doing is making people uncomfortable and you got to stop doing that. 
well, why can't we just kind of explain that, you know, there's, it's got to be a highway street. And that's what happened at our house. Now there's a midway. There's a compromise. We've, we, everyone's given up stuff so that there's a middle ground that everyone can be themselves, right? You know, now, now they understand, don't cover my hat. I just need that corner of the hutch for myself. Just leave it. And they leave it, right? But now that they understand why, they respect it more. And rather than saying this is stupid or it's ridiculous, why are you overreacting? Well, it's, you know, that's a whole different other thing is the emotional dysregulation with ADHD, which is not in the DSM. And it's recently been is used by smart, sorry, not smart, but knowledgeable um, psychiatrists or people in adult ADHD, which there's not a lot of people who have that skill or the expertise on it. But, you know, we are emotional. We feel things a thousand times more than the neurotypical. It just immediately rushes in 100%. It's like a, you know, shake that pop bottle, crack it open, boom, explosion. And then what happens? It goes away. It's done. And that's how our brain works. Right. And then demosis dysregulation is a huge one. We can have another episode all about this, but you know, there's a lot of people, you know, entrepreneurs are emotional, right? We react a lot of big ups and downs and a lot of that's to do with ADHD for most, but at the same time too, is, you know, undiagnosed it's uncontrolled, right? Well, man, the explosions I had was ridiculous. I still wonder why I had staff, right? And I still wonder at times, well, I still have a wife and kids at home, right? So and but now that you understand how that is, instead of just saying, Oh, you're overreacting, being a silly goof, now, like, okay, we trigger something, let's respect the triggers, right? Yeah, right. it's 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 you know, it's oh, I grew up in that household, Andre. Like, you, yeah, and, and it's, it just frustrates me that we I've always had to compromise myself to meet to the be accepted on the other side of the street where we can never meet in the middle, yeah, and that's why I challenge a lot of the way. You know, there's a lot of ADHD coaches out there. They're doing the best they can. I'm not criticizing them, but a lot of the treatments or systems are meant to fit in, right? I even had that with my psychiatrist. And I said, you know, you're really trying to force a neurotypical thing on me to accept and to become, and that's not right. 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 Well, so, and then with my program developing, it has nothing to do with all this. I'm, I'm there to identify the true you, how you work how you work best, how we can trick your brain, just by understanding how your brain works, create your own systems and habits and, and be validated to say, hey, way you're working is perfect. Who cares what everyone else says? You can't do that because your brain's not allowing you. Or if you really want to do it, let's, let's play with your brain now. Right? I, and I, I go through the whole thing and understand your strengths, how we can split the, you know, figure out exactly what you're good at and try to get you to work perfectly in that in, in there as much as you can. I mean, you don't play your own sandbox and play in it. I love it because I mean, essentially the sort of the foundation of my work is the, the premises is that you're born with sort of your unique beliefs and your unique talents as an individual. Unique and beliefs so, and talents. I never heard yeah. of unique beliefs. Okay. Unique beliefs and your unique talents. You know, like when you're mm -hmm. a little kid, I'm just thinking about one of my clients, like she, is a designer and she was designing when she was a little kid naturally mm -hmm. that's what she did that was her thing and so she uh, that's just who she was those were her innate talents that she was born with so i love what you're saying because it relates directly like uh, the idea of 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 emphasizing who you really are and and working with it and enjoying it and appreciating who you are making being, yourself and, right and being that validated by someone else is tremendous 
right? And then having people there to say, okay, dude, do that, whatever. Or um, you're not playing in your sandbox anymore. Stop it, right? You have a team. You got to hire that out, right? When we, I have never had that. Now I'm starting to get, because now I understand myself, you know, better. Um, and I'm surrounding myself with the right people. I got people slapping me inside the head saying, stop doing that. And you're not supposed to do that. I can even yeah. tell my team that, right? If you see me drafting, slap me in the back of the head. If well, I'm disrupting you too much, tell me to go home. Well, like my, my, my now partner is the engineering manager. He, he used to tell me, he goes, are you done all your work? I said, yeah, I am done. He says, well, if you got nothing else to do, leave because you're disrupting everyone. Oh shit. You're right. Okay. You know, I give that people that permission. Yeah. And that's, what's going to make you a strong leader right. and a happy one, happy one at that. Right. That too. And then, and then you see, and that's why I also call myself the chief troublemaker. I'm the CTM. <laughs> um, we had a group meeting, a team meeting once. And then Phil told me, he says, you know, the more time you spend out, cause I was saying, I can't, I don't spend a lot. I got to do more engineering work. I got to do stuff. I'm not out there. He goes, when you're out there, you get us into more trouble. And what he meant by that is I get more work. So that we, it became a joke. Says, now it's time for you to get, get us into more trouble. Right. Cause trouble. So that's the other thing too, is if you're stuck doing the work in your company, you're not growing it. Right. So the more right now, even with the COVID, I'm, you know, the more I'm talking to customers or to other potential people developing content, even from the engineering side or tactical, it's all going to pay off down the road and it keeps your staff working. They see that, they know that. Doesn't matter what my brain thinks or I could talk myself out every time. They appreciate that you're not there because you're getting work. Right. And if they see me come in and say, we got to talk about the system or start questioning the system that we're using, I know something's not working well. But to them, they know it's not working, but they have a system to follow and they will. Then they know it's okay. We got to look at this differently and then change the system and get, and get going. Hmm. So. One of the things that I'll, I'll just leave, I have another question for you, but just one thing that I have noticed with people who are ADD or ADHD, the only thing I notice that mindset wise, or one of the big things I notice is that there's a feeling that I have to prove myself and prove my worth. And that's, you know, <sighs> you know, that's, that's one thing that I have noticed that has been consistent. And that's exactly what you're saying. If you don't fit into the mold, then Right. Yeah. I, I had a, a good friend of mine, Gail Swift. She interviewed me on my podcast. I do that too. So I get people, I interview people or I get people interview me. And what she pulled out of me that episode was she noticed me, like she knew me before the diagnosis, during the diagnosis and afterwards. And I was always searching for the next acceptance by someone. Just, it was, it was clear as day. That's all you're doing. You're trying to, you're chasing the next acceptance. And since my diagnosis, it's not that I don't care anymore. It's just, you'll accept me if, you know, if it's right, if not, I'm not chasing it anymore. And to follow on those lines, I think that's another challenge that we have by being pushed down or having that negative connotation around you, not being normal. Um, we just want validation and we're trying to chase it in the wrong areas. Yep. And that's when we get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So my last question for you, and this is an important one, what belief do you have now? Maybe you've cultivated as you've opened up your business since 2007 that helps you in, in your success now helps you with your business. 
the mindset I have now, well, I've cultivated over the last four years, five years, um, is I'm really good at one thing. And that one thing can be, you know, and that what it is, is I'm really good at devouring and learning complex information and simplifying it for others to solve complex problems so everyone can grow. Um, and that can be applied anywhere. Engineering, what I'm doing with tactical at home or someone who's just passing by. And anything else I do outside of that, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting other people's time. There's other people who are better at doing that than me. And let's get them to do it. So that's, to me, the biggest mindset shift and the big concentration I have is to keep working in my unique ability and staying there and staying in my sandbox. And then... Um, and getting over this, I have to do all the other stuff and, uh, and, and getting the right team around you. That, that's key. You got to get the right people around you or you're going to stay where you are or get frustrated. And I'm tired of being frustrated and I'm tired of doing stuff I don't like. I love it. I love that, Andre. I really, really love it. I love so much that you have said and so much that you're teaching. So I just want to tell anybody who is listening to this that I highly recommend listening to your podcast. Another thing that you are doing, yeah. um, right? Just And they can find, I'm going to put all of the details, the impulsive thinker. Yep. The impulsive thinker.com. And you can find it on any of the major iTunes, et cetera. Yeah, it's everywhere. Okay. So everybody needs to listen to this, especially... Not just if you're ADD or ADHD, um, but if you know someone who you suspect, I think this will be very good for people maybe yeah. who have not had the opportunity to feel like they have someone who thinks like they do or are like them. Yeah. Well, the, the other goal I have too with the podcast is not only educating, educating the high achieving ADHD entrepreneur or any ADHD entrepreneur, it's, it's ed, ed, educating the neurotypicals also. Yeah. I've had a lot of people come back, they're not ADHD but they work with a lot of entrepreneurs and so they're learning so much and understanding their entrepreneur a lot better. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that, so I will put a link to that. I'll put a link to your company and all of mm -hmm. your, and your program and everything. So I really, yeah, and it's real and raw. Like I was just brought my oldest daughter on. She just, her episode came out on Thursday, on Tuesday or Monday. And, and it was all about how of a pain in the ass I was undiagnosed. It was a true and open, honest conversation of how she felt, how the family felt, and how crappy I felt. So You know what's so interesting when you were talking about kind of losing it and maybe, you know, getting a little bit emotional is I was thinking about my dad. And I always thought that the advantage of, of having that, because we'd have the explosions and, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of, he was always explosive before he had to go to court the next day, um, coming home from the cottage. But one thing that I always kind of joked about um, was that I'm really good with anger. Like I'm, I don't feel uncomfortable if I walk into a house and like, there's some, and even culturally, like I used to joke about being an Irish Catholic and talking, I had a lot of French clients. Yeah, French Catholic. French, yep. <laughs> and, and I'd say to them, you guys are just like us. <laughs> and my, my closest, uh, closest in Ottawa, who I came to work with, she's a Franco-Ontarian uh, mm -hmm. ADD. We got along like there's no, I'm like, I know you people. So I just want to say thank you for coming on and that actually there's lots of benefits to being the child of, yeah. uh, just so you know, because we were talking about your daughter and I can't wait to listen to that episode. I'm going to send it to a friend of mine. So Perfect. thank you for coming. I appreciate the invite, Megan. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. I always learn something, not something. I always learn a lot of things. Well, thank you. Oh, thanks so much. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. 
I hope you enjoyed our guest today as much as I did. If you are interested in connecting on social media, then I am on Facebook and LinkedIn, Megan O'Neill Core Beliefs. Or if you are thinking this is the time for you to empower your mindset and expand your life and business, you can find me at meganoneal.ca. Mm-hmm.